I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jordan is holding right now something that I would use as kindling in my household. (laughs) It is a bobblehead WFAN Susan Waldman and John Sterling figurine oh my goodness gracious so i went to the yankee game a week ago friday night we got to the stadium an hour beforehand just to get that i brought my kids my wife you found out that the first 37 people who walk into yankee stadium gets the bobblehead it was the first 10,000 people i said let's get there a little early just to make sure we got it oh no there were lines around the stadium like i've never seen for a playoff game okay we got in an hour before the game started, and they were already out of bobbleheads. The Fordham football team was right next to us coming in. They got shut out of bobbleheads. How dare they? Thankfully, a really nice couple saw my kids. They're like, oh, we don't want to hold these. So they gave them to my kids, and now I have John and Susan right next to me. It's better that we can't hear that. It's better that way. Did they license her clip of screaming about A-Rod? <laughs> of all the things that I have seen. Oh, my goodness gracious. Some... People said that the only bobblehead promotion that compared to this one was Judge. So it's Aaron Judge and John and Susan. I mean, let's face it. Those are the three best personalities associated with that team this year. It's a shame they didn't have Joey Gallo bobblehead night. Who knows how many heads would have ended up on the field? Yeah. (laughs) What does the Josh Donaldson bobblehead do? Break the other bobbleheads? (laughs) It it insults them. (laughs) What does the Aaron Boone bobblehead do? nod vigorously like he does in real life. Yeah, I guess he would be a good bobblehead. I mean, that is what you're describing as a bobblehead. (laughs) (laughs) Hate the shoot, Paul, the runner! Loose ball! It's good! With 4.4 to go! Shannon! Don't want to foul! Shannon! From the corner! And it's over! Gonzaga! The flipper still fits! The cry goes up both far and near for underdog Underdog, underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I ain't even in the guys league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog, underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. And on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. What is ever going the distance with Creed? 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to soul. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Boy, George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog, underdog, underdog. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Hello, can you feel what's in the air here in the dog days of August? That's right. It's the scent of pigskin. Football coming around the corner as we join you here on the Underdog Podcast. As always, I'm Jordan Brenner here with my best friends in the whole world, the three best friends that anyone could have, Tom Haberstrow, Peter Keating, and in a very special episode of the Underdogs podcast today, we are joined by longtime ESPN colleague of ours. Now we've all gone our separate ways and reunited once again for some football underdog talk, Mr. Casey Joyner. Casey, thank you so much for being here. Just like old times, isn't it? Well, I hope so when it comes to Giants football, because the last few years have been awful. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get into that, Jordan. Don't worry. Do we call Casey the football scientist, which is the name he's taken for coming on 20 years now? I feel more like 
he's more like a football godfather, isn't he? Isn't he? Isn't he kind of like the <laughs> the guy who pioneered advanced metrics that we all kind of grew up wanting to use and emulate and apply and get smart with? Well, part of why I'm excited to have Casey on the show is that while we want to talk about underdogs and fantasy football and real football this year, his own story is an amazing underdog story. Um, basically a self-made football analyst. Casey, can you, for our readers who aren't familiar with your backstory, can you sort of give us a little bit of, uh, of your history of how you ended up as the football scientist? The short version is I, I was a kid. I read all the Bill James books and I wanted to write a Bill James style book of my own, but you know, life interferes. And so I got into my early thirties and said, well, if I don't do it now, I'm not ever going to do it. So cashed up my 401ks and said, all right, I'm just going to take a shot at this and wrote a book and sent the book off to a bunch of different writers. And, uh, Dr. Z from sports illustrated, his number was, or his uh, address was listed publicly. So he got a copy and he just contacted me like a few days after getting it and said, Hey, I'd like to write a little something about you. I said, great. I figured just going to put a little blurb in a story. And he decided to write an entire story on sportsillustrated.com. And when he did, uh, I literally, when he posted it, I'd sold three books. And one of those was to Aaron shots of football outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> there was nobody else that bought the thing. <laughs> and then when he got it, Within like an hour, an NFL team had bought it. I was getting orders. I, this is literally true. We got orders from five different continents. I was getting orders from Australia. I, was, I got an order from China. A guy said the Chinese government took the book and because they saw the, the, the thing on the cover. They saw the helmet with a beaker on it. It was one of those uh, you know, ring-bound books that you ring-bind at home, and we were doing it that way at that time. And they took it, and they like unbound it and just left it in pieces in the box. I was like, dude, I'll send you a new copy. But... <laughs> He did that, and uh, and it just it, it, he told everybody it was the best book of the kind he, he'd ever read, which I uh, it, which was great. He told me behind the scenes, don't get a big head about it, so I tried not to, and uh, and then you know it just went from there. It was a couple of editors from ESPN bought copies, so I started working for ESPN and doing a bunch of other stuff, and went from there. Well, one way to measure how long Casey's been at this is the apparently seven million what looked to be analog videotapes uh, on the wall. <laughs> behind him. <laughs> another one is his Dr. Z mentioned. And another one is, I've been, I'm just trying very hard to think about what we've talked about on this podcast and try to connect it to KC. KC started this back in 2003. I'll ask you guys, Jordan and Tom, who led the NFL in yards per reception among wide receivers? Who was the deepest threat in the game? Such an advanced stat that you had. Well, back then. That's the trivia question? This is why you don't do Vet the Bet. This is linking this to our work. That's that's your hint. Who's the wide receiver who you, whose name we might have kind of sort of brought up on this podcast? Chris Carter. All the time, including today already. What's funny is I would have gone with Herman Moore only because of our Moore obsession, but he wasn't playing in 2003. That would have been a fine guess. The answer, of course, is Joey Gallo. Way. <laughs> oh, wow. Joey Gallo, way. <laughs> all right. All right. Carry on. Carry on. Wow. Carry on. That leads me to my first question to you, Casey, is bring us back to 2003. What was the state of football analytics back then? Like, obviously, there was a void that you were trying to fill, but what was like the advanced metrics of that era and that that caused you to be like, yeah, I, I need to write a book. This this isn't adequate. Well, I remember Bill James in the 70s, he said that I would listen to pot to the broadcast, a baseball broadcast, and they would say, uh, you steal on a pitcher or you steal on the catcher. And he's like, which is it? And and he looked around and nobody even bothered counting things like, okay, how many stolen bases happened in the game where this guy was catching or pitching? So he did that. And it was it was groundbreaking for the 1975 and six when he's doing this when i started i i, I tell this to the to, to fantasy people uh frequently on my fantasy shows i mentioned that when i started this targets weren't being tracked there were occasional books that would come out from elias sports Bureau that would have targets but literally targets were not tracked i mean it just you, you could you go back to fantasy football magazines of 2001 and two they're not there and by 2005 and six, everybody has them. But even things as simple as that. And I tracked a bunch of other things too. I tracked uh, bad decision rates and good blocking rates on things that like things I created. But even the basic ones weren't being tracked in a way that you would think, okay, this would be uh, you know something that would have been tracked. So uh, and I, it, so it was that simple back in the, those days. 
I remember those early pieces. I, I had of editing some of your work at ESPN Insider, ESPN the magazine. I think Dan Galvin, actually, one of our old NFL editors, was an early KC joiner at Uptay and, and really sort of brought you into the ESPN fold. And um, yeah, I remember those early columns. Good blood. I'm like, who else is doing this? This is the stuff that when you're watching <laughs> football, you're like, of course this stuff matters. And KC was actually putting numbers to this to the things that were almost common sense. I, those early sort of uh, matchup um, columns too, right? Didn't you look at cornerback receiver matchups before a lot of people were doing that? And yep. in a fantasy lens, like, and now it's, it's, it's all over the place. Yeah. So I think you need royalties is really what I'm coming <laughs> at. <laughs> it's, it's ubiquitous today. And it's, the thing is, is that it, it, now we can do these other things because there are so many different, like Bill James found that early on, he had to do all the counting of these basic things and he wanted to do the more advanced stuff. But he couldn't because if you're having to sit there and count how many stolen bases are you getting against the catcher, if you're doing stuff like that, you don't have time to do other things. Now that we have all these things, you can start to take them and go in other more advanced directions, which is things I'm trying to do today. One of the things that really sticks out in my mind is the piece that you wrote on Roderick Hood and how he was really <laughs> effective at covering Plexico Burris at a time when, like Jordan just said, nobody was writing about that. And that just that just blew up. In fact, I think it got Roderick Hood some money because he was about to become a free agent, right? Royalties. I did make a little money on that one. Uh, not much. Oh, you made a little money on that one. Well, that's even better. Okay. I did. Roderick Hood's agent contacted me. He contacted me and said, uh, hey, I uh, really like this article. Uh, I said, great. And he said, would you like to uh, – I'm going to give a number out here. I wouldn't normally do this, but I'll give a number to show how things that probably have changed in the world. He said, uh, "Would you? Uh, hey, uh, we've got a contract coming up for him. Would you like to write something for me? And I'm in freelance, so it's, it's possible to do that. I'm not under contract. To anybody says, Yeah, I could do it. It's like, How much do you want? Like, uh, oh boy, a thousand dollars. I said, $1,000. He's like, Okay, immediately. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I blew it. I knew I absolutely blew it. And yeah, but I mean, I agreed to it, so I did it. And they and he used it, he got a, got a big contract. And he, the, his agent was even like, Yeah, look, I'll you know, if you need me for references for the future. So for the next couple of years, I was doing agent work. And then once I signed a, a employee contract. I couldn't do that anymore, but I was doing work for agents to help them with this sort of thing. Again, the kind of thing that's probably commonplace today, but it wasn't back then. So yeah, his his agent uh, saw it, and then Roderick got the, got the big deal because I still can't understand why the Eagles didn't sign Hood to the deal, but they didn't want him, so the Cardinals did. What if like a, a podcast host wanted to, say, make some more money? <laughs> like, Could you look at maybe underlying metrics about how handsome and, you know, wonderful his voice is and perhaps also earn him a larger contract? Jordan, that's not going to take $1,000 of Casey's time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. I um, was talking it, about you, Peter. What you oh, oh, well, <laughs> that'll take even less time. You can do what they call spot assessments. Before we go into drafting and matchups today, I did want to mention one other thing that blew my mind when I first read it that Casey did. In 2010, Michael Vick had a great season. And Eli Manning had a so-so season. But Casey was tracking not just bad decision rates, but what he called near interceptions. And we talk about regression to the mean all the time on this podcast. It turns out that a lot of near interceptions are just the result of luck. A lot of interceptions are the result of luck. And if you look at near completions and near interceptions and just like if you look at targets, if you widen out the sample size, you have a much better basis to predict. And a lot of balls bounced off Eli Manning's receiver's hands that season. And the numbers were just screaming that Manning was better than he looked and Vic was worse than he looked. And the next season, Manning was a lot better or threw for a lot more yards. He was a lot better in the, in the counting stats. And they ended up in the Super Bowl. And, and, and that, that was just – it was just right there, but no one was looking at it or presenting it as digestible or interpreting it until Casey was doing it. But Casey, you don't do a lot of those – non-fantasy advanced metrics anymore because as you've been writing and saying the bad decision rates that used to track among quarterbacks have, have declined dramatically as quarterback play improved so much that it's not even really worth parsing out those differences anymore it used to be with bad decision rates uh bad decision i always defined it as uh, a mental error by a, a passer and that turns into a turnover opportunity for the defense so it has to be a mental error it can't be if you're forcing it into coverage you're like i'm gonna go 50 50 ball hey that's not a bad decision you made a, a call that okay i'm gonna make a jump ball there and there you go where you're not reading the defense properly you're 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 forcing it to obvious double coverage things of that nature a lot of stuff like that when i started the best quarterbacks would be or the, like brady was at 
1% or lower. There was one season where he was at three tenths of 1%. He just, it was an, just insane. And other players, you'd get Ben Roethlisberger to be at 6%. You'd get Favre when you would be at 7%. <laughs> just this huge variance. And it seems, I won't, I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to, 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 to overstate what, uh, my impact or anything, but about half the team, in fact, over half the teams in the league bought some copy of my, there was five years of the scientific football series. And, and half the teams in the league bought this. Uh, general managers, coaches, owners, you name it, 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 all over the place. And this series talked about bad decision rates and how you could, re, you know, and say, hey, you know, the, the big difference between the players, between that and the stuff I'm running on ESPN, I think coaches never decided we're going to go ahead and try to reduce this because think about it. If you write throw six of the pass of the year and you've got six, uh, you know, a seven percent bad decision rate, whatever, how, you know, whatever that is, uh, you've, it's what is it going to be? Forty or something, right? Forty-two or yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you get that many, but if you get like a three or four percent, the worst would usually be three or four percent. Three percent at six hundred is eighteen bad decisions. An average quarterback got twelve, and a good quarterback would have six. I think coaches started to decide between this and seeing a bunch of other metrics that track near interceptions, if we can lower these numbers, we don't have to lower them by a ton. You could lower them by from 18 to 12 and get from bad to okay. And it's only one pass every three games. So I think when they realized there was a lot of low hanging fruit there, I think between that and a lot of improved coaching at college and high school level, it started to lead to, you look at league wide interception, which they've been dropping for years. I wonder if there's a way for you to spin that forward now and maybe look at change the definition of bad decision from a throw that puts the team in turnover jeopardy to not the optimal decision. So is a guy checking down when he has open receivers downfield? Is he not seeing the field? Is he not seeing better opportunities? Is that, is that trackable? Is that something you could conceivably do? Yeah, it's something I can conceivably do. I'm doing a lot of stuff in the running game now, and you can see things. There's even decisions that running backs can make or blockers can make or coaches can make as far as how you approach different plays and things of that nature, you could, and it could absolutely be applied to the pass again. Like, so I'm coaching, I'm concentrating on the running game, doing some behind the scenes work with, uh, around with people and things regarding this. But yeah, that's generally, you could, you could absolutely take that approach and apply it to them because that's the thing. Again, I, we don't have to track some of these other metrics where we have this other base of information. And now you can take that information and start to stack on top of it and go, instead of getting, you know, if you want to use a depth reception where you, instead of going a thousand feet down, you can go two and 3000 feet down. You can get so much more deeper into it. So yeah, with the way that, that's a benefit for where, where things are today is I don't have the same metrics I did back then, but now you can get to the really deep dive stuff. Well, and I'm glad you're establishing the run first. That's key. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Z told me after about the scientific, first scientific goal was all passing. And he said, one thing you need to do is do stuff in the running game. He, he made it very clear that if you want to be, you know, if you want to go to the next level, you got to do this. So, and he was writing it in, in, as usual, he was right. I still keep in touch with his wife, by the way. He passed a few years ago after those strokes and things, but the flaming redhead, I still keep in touch with her a couple, three times a year and, uh, and check up on her and things, see how things are going. So in baseball, Casey, there was this foundational discovery about BABIP and about how pitchers don't seem to have as much control over the batted balls nearly as much as we thought. Um, and it was kind of this like revolutionary finding in sabermetrics. I'm wondering, in fantasy football, you've been doing this for about 20 years, two decades now. Has there been like a statistical finding or a trend that kind of flipped the paradigm um, or, or at least pushed the the... the I guess, statistical analysis of fantasy football just way beyond the previous year. I think people understand more fantasy managers today in general. And as, again, we have to generalize over a course of a lot of different people because some still don't get it. But I think fantasy managers today realize it. Remember back in the day, I, I just wrote an article for The Athletic about something like this uh, a few weeks ago, uh, talking about trying to take a Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger approach to it. And, and Charlie Munger, is a, he, he's Warren Buffett's partner in, in Berkshire Hathaway. And he constantly talks about trying to reduce the amount of risk that you have, reduce the amount of risk. And I think that fantasy managers back in the day were more apt to take more risks because they didn't have the information that could help them not take risk. I think they would just look at things and say, okay, I, the, these are players they didn't have you didn't have like you can go to Fantasy Pros right now and get a daily update on AP, ADP aggregation. Whereas back in the day, you were hoping <laughs> that the magazine that you had in front of you was still somewhat correct. You know, <laughs> so you, totally. you can you can flip these things on the fly and you can start to see an Isaiah Pacheco, for example, in, in, in Kansas City and start seeing him take over in the depth chart. And you had this information to be able to make these decisions to bake more of the risk out. So I think that fantasy managers today. Uh, in general, I don't know if there's a specific metric they would go to, but they can now bake a lot of that risk out that they couldn't 10 years ago. 
does that make it viable to draft for the floor as you've written? I, you know, you, you wrote this draft for the floor strategy. And so let's say there's a running back who you could think draft to the floor, Peter, I think. Right. Draft on the floor, draft under the floor. What is it? What's yes, draft exactly while on the floor, I think is what you would say. <laughs> draft above the floor at all times. The point being that if you have a guy who's a running back one or a running back two in your mind, don't ever treat him as a running back one, right? That's correct. If you if you think like last year, I, t- I told people about Najee Harris and people are like, Najee Harris was a, you know, he's a first on pick. I'm like, when, when you look at his ADP last year, headed into the drafts, he was ADP 18, generally speaking, a little bit higher in some, a little bit lower in some, but still ADP 18. If you're an A12 team league, he's a second round pick, which means if you take a running back in the first round, which I would generally say you, sh- you should do today because running back values have bounced back. Zero running back strategy is a terrible strategy now. I guess, I guess running back values have bounced back. If you're drafting running back in the first round, Harris is your second running back. Because you have to think of it that way. He's an RB2 on your squad. So if you draft him as a two on your squad, you've got an expectation of what he's going to do. My thought was back last year was, hey, you can get him as a two. You know he's going to give you that floor. He's going to be top 24 in a 12-team league. You know this. But he has that uh, upside to get into the RB1 uh, tier. And that's what I'm talking about is trying to find as many of those players as possible where you draft them. You know that they're floor. Even if they have a bad year, you're not going to have wasted a draft pick because it doesn't take only maybe a couple of bad draft picks in a fantasy draft. And it, and you're trying to make up for up that whole season. You gotta, mind you, bake injuries out of it because that can happen to anybody. As long as you're not picking somebody who's injury prone. But beyond that, if you just make a bad pick or if you take a chance on a pick and he doesn't pan out, you do it two or three times, you have 15 players in your roster. I mean, you've already killed 20% of your roster of bad picks. So as we know, the best indicator of floor is volume. If you can bank on volume, you can bank on a minimum level production. So I looked at your bold predictions column and there's a couple of guys I want to dive into a little more because volume seems like it'll be a key determinant of whether they meet the hype. The first one is Gabriel Davis with the Bills. So obviously there's some recency bias with his performance in the AFC Championship game last year. On the other hand, it's a less crowded wide receiver room. So one would think that his role might increase. I know you're not as high as on him as ADP would suggest, can you explain your reasoning behind that and then allow me to challenge you? <laughs> Jordan, have you already drafted him? Come clean. I have not. My, my first draft is coming this Saturday. So Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> the big thing for him was, I mean, the number one element on there was that he he's only caught in his two seasons, it's 36 and 35 receptions. I mean, it's just... He's got to prove that he can do that, be that kind of workload guy. Now in college, he did a little better. I think it's 72 catches in one of his seasons at UCF. So he's he's good from that perspective. But here's the big thing: when I'm looking at these players, one of the things I'm looking at is uh, how many points are you getting on short and vertical passes. And last year, he had just over give or take said 4.96 uh, fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. Now he's going to take over Emmanuel Sanders' role, but mind you, the best receivers, I'm talking elite, Justin Jefferson at 12.8 last year, Cooper Cup 10.1. Do I think Gabriel Davis is going to get quite to that level? No, I think he can get to seven or eight in, in fantasy points per game in PPR leagues on vertical passes. In order to be a, a wide receiver two, which you, you know, he'd need to get 14 points per game total, which means he'd probably have to add six or seven points in short passes. I don't see him being able to reach that level. That's too high of a level for him on short passes. They don't use him enough. So that's the biggest thing, but I don't think it'd be a two. So, and this is my question. Okay. Is it that they didn't use him enough or they won't use him enough? Because those are two different things, right? He was complete competing with Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley for short passes. Now he's a clear starter. They've got a clear slot guy in Jamison Crowder. So if, if we're for, I guess in the NBA, they talk about things, uh, guys as defenders, is he... A guy who can't defend or won't defend. So are we sure that Gabriel Davis can't be a short yardage receiver or has he just not been utilized that way because of other guys in the mix in the past? If I had to say, my, the big problem I have with him is uh, the thing I looked at for that was his yards per target last year on short passes. That yards, you know, Again, yards per target was something that wasn't utilized not me long ago, but now it's a ubiquitous stat. 4.2 yards per target. That's atrocious on short passes. If you're getting 4.2 yards per target on, on a short pass, they will look elsewhere to throw those passes. So I look at that and go, plus I'm of the mindset that when you look at Buffalo last year, Buffalo started to run the ball more late in the year. I think part of that was McDermott and Dayball had different opinions. Dayball was trying to 
stock his resume to go get a head coaching job like Bill Walsh did back in the day. Admittedly, Bill Walsh said he did this. So, uh, And I think that McDermott was like, hey, you, we need to be a little more conservative because we can't get into shootouts. By the way, I wouldn't go into this a little bit further, but on shootouts, shootouts are games where each team scores 24 more points. Even the best offenses in NFL history win only roughly 60% of those games. And if you take a couple of outliers out, it's barely a 50-50 prop. You can't get into, into shootout games regardless of how good your offense is. And I think McDermott knows this and he wants to run the ball more. So I think when you combine those together, I think they're going to scale some of their passes away. He's not good on short passes. And it's not a guarantee he can live up to the workload or that he's going to get to the elite level in vertical points per game. I, I just I think he'd come close, but it would be surprising if he gets six. And if he does there, now he's going to get eight to get in there an ADP two. He's fine as a three. I just He's going as an ADP wide receiver two in, in fantasy leagues. I just I can't get that bridge let's talk about one guy with even higher expectations in your mind who i love as well i don't think the world is as high on him in part because there's questions about volume and that's alan robinson why do you see him as a potential wide receiver one this year with the rams i've had people write me over the years in fact there's one person who used to write me every year like you hate alan robinson he just every time (laughs) (laughs) didn't matter it's like you just can't stand i'm like dude I'm, i'm trying to rate him as best i can but Robinson's taken over the Robert Woods role. Woods was a wide receiver run or borderline wide receiver run in PPR leagues from 2018 to 2020. So Robinson posted low tier wide receiver one numbers with the Bears in 2019 and 2020. And that was, that's a mediocre offense. It's not a good offense at all. So I'm looking at this and going, okay, I see his production with, you know, with, with he can, he can get to close to wide receiver one level with the Bears. Yeah, he had last year. He had COVID last year. He checked out of that offense, but frankly, so did a lot of people because that, that team, you could tell by the end of the year, the whole team was quitting on the coaching staff. So he's not going to quit on McVay and, it, and it's an entirely different system there. So I see him getting back to where he was and I see the Robert Woods role and I'm going, I don't, he, if he's not a wide receiver one, he's darn close to it. And yet his ADPs are nowhere near that. He's he's at a wide receiver three level in ADPs. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about with the floor. If you draft him as your three, you absolutely know he's going to hit that level on that offense. And now it's everything upside from there. You know, when Jordan mentioned a guy with higher expectations who we love and and you've written up favorably, I thought he was going to mention Matt Ryan. Uh, you see Matt Ryan as borderline QB1, right? I do. I, I see the potential for it at the, at the very least. He was only 5.7 points away on a points-per-game basis from being a QB1, but he's only 2.7 points per game last year away from placing 14th. Now he gets Pittman, and here's the thing, the, the thing that really blew me away. Frank Reich last year, he did not trust Carson Wentz, and we can. And a metric you have <laughs> that can prove this is Jonathan Taylor had 85 red zone touches last year. Yeah, I love this stat. All-time record. Is that the record? That's the record, right? Yeah. That is. That is wasn't Austin Eckler at second with like yeah. 46? Exactly. <laughs> it's almost double second place. He just got down there and said, and said, once I do not trust you at all. I don't want 86 yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, Eighty-five and forty-six. If, if, the se- if the season had gone on, they would have just started direct snapping. I think in the, <laughs> yeah. in the in the red zone. What's Matt Ryan's play action numbers say too? Like, is that is that is he going to be a real weapon utilizing Taylor's you know strengths that way? I didn't see. I didn't see those. I'm just figuring. I, I didn't look at that in the, in the analysis, but I just figured that it can't be worse than once. <laughs> no, it can't be. It can't be worse than once. And Reich is talking repeatedly. Repeatedly, he's saying we can't just run the ball. You know, they're the run the damn ball team. That, that's a, they wear those T-shirts, okay? But they are now saying, look, we're not gonna. We're, we need to pass the ball. We can't just be run heavy. So I, I think he's saying we're not gonna give eighty-five to. Him. And if you take thirty red zone carries away from him and you give those to Matt Ryan, I don't even if he's just an average quarterback, can he make up for the the two point seven gap that he had last year from being a borderline QB one? He absolutely can. I don't want him as my starter, but if you tell me he's a backup, but again, he's most durable quarterback, one of the most durable quarterbacks in league history. Yeah, I'll take him as a backup, especially if I'm in a deeper league or something. I really want to go for a backup quarterback, say in round fourteen. Yeah, I'll take him. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. 
With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Keeping with this, I got uh, a fantasy draft coming up here, and we actually draft the position, the draft slots. And I have the first pick at draft slot position. So, like, I can take the number one pick, or I can take the 12 or the six. And I know that there's some research being done on what is the most profitable slot in a 12 team PPR, whatever it is. But it also depends on the year, right? Like in general, maybe the number six slot is the, is the best one to select at. But given what we know about this, this season um, and Jonathan Taylor last year, potentially losing some of those red zone carries, what are your thoughts on just what is the most profitable slot that you can draft it in this year i do not want to be at one i don't want to be drafting taylor i don't want to be drafting cmc not that i wouldn't if i have if i have one okay i'm fine i'm taking taylor fine i'm two i'm, ta- I'm taking cmc or in certain people in a full ppr league i might go a cup uh but i wrote an article for the athletic about two months ago that talked about how there are certain players who have statistics that are all but as sure they're going to be their outlier numbers are going to drop i said it's not going to kill their production but it's going to hurt taylor He's going to lose a lot of those red zone touches. So his value is going to drop. He's not going to do what he did last year. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup on a points per game basis, put up the the type of season that Jerry Rice only put up one time in his career. And Rice never came close. And you look at the other players who came close. Nobody else came within like 50 points outside of those, those two guys putting that number up. He's going to drop. So I'm looking at those guys going, I don't want to draft Cup there because I think he's not going to be where he was at that level. I think he's going to be, he should be a guy who should be drafted at seven or eight or something of that nature. And he's going to go four. And, but you might have to take him given where, you know, if you want the number one receiver in the league. So I'm at a point where I probably want to get a pick between four and eight in a, in a draft, maybe five to eight. I don't, I'll be in the middle of the first round and I can stockpile value in both the rounds. Cause if, if you take Taylor one and expect last year's numbers, I don't think you're going to get him. Yeah, but Tom, if you get five or four and the top three or four go as expected, who would you be targeting? Who would you be targeting that wouldn't be a likely huge regression drop-off candidate? This is exactly why I lose because I'll get that fourth pick and then those guys will go one to three and I just will not be able to pass up Justin Jefferson. You know, I mean, uh, you know, because like he is really great, but not all time obvious regression candidate great. And I, I would have to take him and it wouldn't be the right pick. So what would the right pick be? This is my quandary. I covered a lot of injury issues with the NBA and workload and load management, that whole story <laughs> where the league literally changed their schedule because of some, not, not to toot my own horn here, but similar thing what you talked about earlier is like, Things did change pretty quickly after that stuff got publicized and how uh, pl- star players don't want to play back-to-backs and, and it's hurting the TV uh, business. My question is, how much is too much in terms of workload and carries? Because I, I might have the f- fourth pick or the fifth pick, and I'm looking at Derrick Henry, his, his per-game numbers last year, and I'm saying, oh, that's, that's, that's a diamond in the rough. Of course you take Derrick Henry. And then I think, wait, how much is too much? workload. Should I be excited about the fact that he was handed the ball 70,000 times a game or should I be scared of that fact? Scared. Absolutely. He averaged <laughs> 29.6 scrimmage plays per game. The next highest on that chart. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's at 21.9. Alvin Kamara's <laughs> at 22.1. It's not close. It, and, and mind you, you take 29.6 
and you prorate that over a 17-game stretch, it's 503.2 touches. Nobody has ever carried the ball that much. In fact, it was at uh, the Tampa Bay running back in the 80s, a Wilder, who had 490 semi-carried, and it ruined his career. He just he was done after that. I was going to say that's that's the Jamal Anderson level, right? Yeah. Yep. That and that put even beyond it's my it's it's an insane amount. And the Titans should have known this was coming. That's why the Titans, by the way, that's why they were so frustrated about how the season ended because they realized, hey, you know what? We got Henry, and that's about it. And if he's not there, we know we're falling apart. Their window closed last year because if they run him the same this year, he'll get hurt again. I'm, I would be, I would bet the not the house, but I would, I would be, you know, I would be, be certain that this is going to happen. He can't handle that sort of workload again. It will wear him down again. So I think that they either have to do load management on him and drop his carries down, or he's just going to be a, a guy who gets injured halfway through the season again. I don't really want Henry on my team at where he is ADP wise. So Casey. I love that you cover downside. It's not just everybody always saying, well, if this guy plays to his potential, he's going to be great. And then like, oh, the whole yeah. league's going to be great. And we don't know anything more than we used to know, right? <laughs> okay, so that that's great. But give us a little bit of juice. Give us a little bit of optimism. <laughs> We're all about the underdogs. We're all about the long shots. Who's going to come rocketing from the tombs way up the charts who's going to exceed their adp rocketing from the tombs <laughs> yeah rocket from the tombs yeah go draft on the floor i'm picturing like an explosive dead body shooting through the sky this is a horrible <laughs> image okay first of all that's a musical reference and that's okay all right case let me rephrase for jordan <laughs> who's gonna come dashing from the sidelines or dashing from the sidelines dashing through this though or climb up from the practice squad who's gonna come out of the restroom and onto the field Who's a, who are who, who are sleepers who we should be looking at while wisely keeping our eye on the floor and not going totally crazy and reckless? Who's got some upside that you like? I'll give you a few names here. By the way, I wrote the article. Uh, there's 32 teams, obviously, and I wrote 32 different players. And I got those are one of the first comments on the articles. Like this is all negative, and I counted up the players. I'm like, I have 18 upside players and 14 downside. It's not all well, negative. Well, 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 you know, you, <laughs> met, you mentioned that, and you mentioned shootouts before. I could not believe the bold prediction for Houston, which is that Davis Mills is going to have at least five <laughs> games with 20 or more yes. points. First of all, how is that possible? Oh, Second of all, can I explain how it's possible? Because of the schedule. When you're losing 800 to three, you throw a lot. All right, but does that make him draftable is my question. And, and Look, who else? he was a DFS, like a decent DFS option some weeks last year because they were down so big. Right, Casey? Yeah, and he's got, look, and we talk about high potential of high score matches. Mentioned it in the article. Houston faces the Colts twice, Chargers, Raiders, Eagles, Browns after Watson returns, Cowboys and Chiefs. You're going to get into shootouts in some of those games. He had three last year. He had three games of 20-plus points last year. It was tied for 17th among quarterbacks, and he only started 11 games. You prorated over, again, let's hope he can start all 17 games. Injuries obviously can be a factor, but I won't be surprised at all if he plays 17 games. We moves that from three to five just because he's got that many potential high-scoring games. And frankly, they're like you said, they're going to be behind him. When they do, they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. Robinson, the receiver for the Giants, is another guy I like. I think they're going to move him up and and Jarvis Landry, I cannot understand. I don't think he's going to be an off the charts guy. His ADP is fifty five. I if you play him in in fifteen in a full season, I, he's going to absolutely he's going to be a three at least. I maybe even a mid tier three. He will destroy that ADP. How are you feeling about his teammate, by the way? Because I have a keeper decision, Michael Thomas. What what what's a reasonable expectation for him this year? Full bounce back. 90, 80% bounce back, 90% bounce back. But I'm always of the mindset. I always when I'm tell my, uh, my subscribers, my Patreon subscribers, I'm always telling them that you want to I, injuries and anything of that nature. Again, I'm trying to bake out downside. So if I see a guy who's got an injury issue, if I see a guy who's got these different things, I'm going to bake that out of the process. So if I've got somebody who I think won't have that kind of an issue, I will rather go with them because I tend to overvalue those negative values or negative elements. Because, I mean, uh, Charlie Munger said it best. He said, if you get rid of downside, the only thing you have left is upside. He said something along those lines. So that, that's kind of how I approach it. So I'd be a little worried about the downside there. I'm a little intrigued, though, because if he's going as the wide receiver 26 right now on Fantasy Pros, that, that really does leave you. It's not going to kill you if you take them there. And it does leave a lot of potential value if things work out right. Plus, he's not old. He kind of It feels like he's been around longer than he has. So I don't know. If Jameis can throw the ball pretty well, which he did last year, and if he's reasonably healthy, I'm talking myself into it here. 
<laughs> I just my <laughs> thing is it just ba- just bake in the idea of this bake in the downside. If again at that ADP, I'd probably go for it. If I'm thinking about is you know, depending on where he's going to be, you know, value wise to you and things. If you can bake that in there, because again, it's not you don't take anybody who has downside. It's just you have to bake that in there. Like I would still take Jonathan Taylor as one, even though I think his numbers are going to drop. I just would have the expectations of hey, he's not going to do quite what he did last year, so I don't want to look at that as having an insurance policy for him. All right, one guy that you are really big on that you didn't mention in the athletic column, but I did uh, get a chance to get your uh, your draft guide subscriber Excel chart, which if you become a subscriber, um, you can get access to this stuff. And I am so excited to, to run through these numbers for ahead of my draft um, and get a leg up for, for beating up my high school buddies. So the thing is, I don't know how many people are big on Kenny Galladay next year or this upcoming season, but you had him at around like 89 or uh, I, I ranked basically your auction prices and you're, you're having him at a PPR price auction price of $10 ahead of some guys. Jarvis Landry is another one um, that you have him ahead of. So on, on fantasy pros, they have him at like 141 at consensus and you have him much higher yeah. than that. So what's your theory on Kenny Galladay? Cause that's another wide receiver in that offense that you're big on. I'm probably going mean, to, I do updates to the, the, uh, the draft and the XL charts uh, a couple, three times during the preseason. I'm probably going to do one tonight or tomorrow night and send it out for the weekend's games. And then do another one after the uh, August 30th uh, changes. The big thing on Galladay was I measure matchup points. And here's the thing, an interesting thing too. Uh, matchup points is a way to measure, okay, how, how tough is your schedule? And I do it for each different position and they have different, mm. you know, it's different formulas to it. So it's not like, okay, how's the defense you're facing? It's okay. How, how for wide receivers, it's what's the caliber cornerbacks you're facing for tight ends. It's how good are the defenses covering, covering tight ends, et cetera. One to one hundred scale, Galladay had a ninety-seven matchup points total. There were only a couple of uh, cornerbacks though, when I did my rankings that had what I call green rated rankings, which is where they're really uh, uh, players you want to target in coverage. And only two, I think, or maybe that's like five out of the whole league, which is incredible. It shows you how strong the cornerback coverage depth is right now. Well, he had 97 and 100 scale, so that was high for him. I do wonder, though, if he's see the, the reports you're seeing. I want to see if he plays this weekend or I want to see something more because right now I'm, I'm thinking of dropping him just because it looks like he's – you know, he's, he's just dropping. He's, he's, it looks like that contract went to his head. Let's put it that way. Well, you're talking to three giants fans who would love nothing more (laughs) than to see him like earn a piece of that contract. But yeah, can he get separation against any moving object and can he (laughs) move without injuring himself? Those are my questions. He could get separation against Darius Slayton. If Slayton were playing cornerback. (laughs) That's a good point. And and also I have to, you like Wondell Robinson. If yeah. Darius Tony gets healthy, he's the, probably the most talented guy of the group, and Sterling Shepard is now back off pup, so I'm worried. Well, also, KC ranks <laughs> KC in a particularly cruel twist for our trio, ranks Mac Wilson the uh the the 23rd. Let me just make sure I have this right. I'm sorry. Uh in a particularly cruel twist for this trio. KC ranks Mac Jones 23rd Mac among quarterbacks. Yeah, Mac Wilson. <laughs> Mac Wilson. Garrett, Garrett, I was Garrett where Wilson. We were going. Mary Wilson, the Supremes. I don't know. Uh, Rocket from the Tombs. KC ranks, <laughs> Matt, KC ranks Matt Jones 23rd among quarterbacks. Oh, this is where we're getting it. Zach Wilson 24th. Yeah. And Daniel Jones 25th. So come on, um, KC. <laughs> Believe in the Daniel. Well, we all know why Daniel is that low, right? Right, Jordan? We all Here know. Here we go. What, Here comes the Duke joke. That's harsh. Go, Deeks! I mean, how many teams are in the NFL? Multiply that by four. And if Galladay's ADP is 141, is that, does that rank him as a starting player in pro football? You know? I'm extremely dubious. The other problem is Tom so astutely pointed out is his name is often mispronounced as Galladay, which is very similar to Gallo, which just doesn't work in New York. (laughs) I can pitch my Daniel Jones to be a lot higher. He does have 100 matchup points. I mean, the the highest matchup point total among quarterbacks. So I do like that. I like the rushing ability. The the, uh, the offensive line. Better O-line. 
I like the O line. It's it, hard to be wor- worse than last year. So I mean, it it that's good. If the receiving core would step up a little bit, I don't like. He's got a, a measure. Uh, I call it fireworks points in the in the draft guide, where it's it's measurement of how likely you are to get into shootout games this coming year. I call it a shoot shootout of fireworks. But one hundred skills, he's twenty three there. So I don't think the Jets going to get a lot of high scoring games. That's part of it. But if the receiving core would step up, that would be the biggest thing to me. If I, if we knew he had better play out of his receivers, just even more consistent play of his receivers. He could move up to into the 20s, but quarterback depth is incredible this year. There were 11 quarterbacks last year scored 300 more fantasy points. Second year in a row that's happened. I won't be surprised that number moves up to 13 this year, maybe even 14. Which means stay away from quarterbacks, right? Like in early in the draft. Yes. I actually think the guy that, and, and I promise we'll get off the Giants after this, but I actually think the guy... <laughs> All the things we were saying there that this points toward is Saquon, a Saquon bounce back. I think on fantasy pros right now is 16th overall, RB10. Yep. I think he's had the worst offensive line in football for years now. If he's healthy with a competent offensive coordinator and a good line. Upside, upside. Top five running back season. I've got him eight right now and could argue to move him higher. He, I have a metric called good blocking yards per attempt. It's how productive you are when you get quality blocking. If you can get double digits, you're in a real good place. He led the league in carries that one year, and he led the league in good blocking yards per attempt. When you can do that and stay on a high volume of, of rushes, still get that quality of rushing, there's very few backs that could do that. So, and he's looking, I don't know if he'd be back to quite that level, but he could take a step or two back that and still be a dominant back. Wait, can you, can you back up and slow down and explain that just one more time, the good blocking yards per attempt, because Christian McCaffrey is actually below eight. It's below league average, right? Just tell us, spell out what good blocking yards per attempt is and why it's important. There are three metrics, actually. Good blocking rate, good blocking yards per attempt, and good blocking productivity. They're all based around the good blocking metric. Remember, Dr. Z said to me years ago, I said, hey, you need to look at running games. So I started looking at running game, and I graded plays on, was there good blocking, was there bad blocking? There's a lot that goes into it, okay? There's a lot that goes into it. But the general description is good blocking plays are plays that uh, where the defense doesn't disrupt the rush attempt. For whatever reason, the defense does not disrupt or obstruct a rush attempt. And if you do well in this, even the worst backs in the league can average seven yards per carry if you give them good blocking. I'm talking the least productive backs in the league can still get seven, and the best backs will get ten. That's why teams should concern themselves more with building up blocking on their offensive lines, run blocking. They should about getting great backs. You know, it's one of those things where the blocking makes all the difference. And uh, and yeah, McCaffrey, that's a big concern I have for him is that last year he only scored, I think it was two scrimmage touchdowns and he dropped down to 7.9 in good blocking yard per attempt and league average is 8.5. It's really concerning. Maybe he's lost. Maybe all this wear and tear has made him lose some breakaway. So that's a metric about wear and tear, what you can do even if the, the field is clear for you. Yeah, if you get good blocking, again, uh, a couple of years ago when, when McCaffrey got hurt, Mike Davis took his place. And Mike Davis ranked last in the league among qualifying backs, 100 or more carries, and he's still at seven yards per carry. Yikes. Terrible backs. By the way, I'll give one real quick here. Trey Lance last year on planned rush attempts, much smaller sample size, only 4.6 good blocking yards per attempt. He's capable of a lot higher. That's one of the reasons I think he could be a QB1 this year. Okay, so when you're going into a draft and you're thinking of an underdog strategy, some people out there might go for that zero running back strategy. You said it's insanity. You said it's dumb. <laughs> Explain to the listeners why that trendy little getting cute, drafting no running backs strategy is bonk. I wrote about it for Football Diehards. It's in the Football Diehards magazine on newsstands, and you can find it on, football, on the Football Diehards site. But the summary of it would be that I, what I looked, I went back and looked and said, okay. The zero running back strategy starts around 2013, I believe is when it started. And if you go back and look at how many running backs in a PPR league posted, I believe it was 250 points, and you start to track from, say, 2000 up to today, and you look at the scale of, okay, how many backs do we have posting this? By the time we get to 2013, the number has dropped low. And by 2015, I think there were only 11 backs with 250 more points. It was the lowest it had ever been. And it said, that, why do you go zero running back? Because there's no top running backs to bother trying to draft. There's not that many. So why bother trying to go that direction? This past year, there were 17. And I know it's a, it, it, was, it was a 17-game season. It's going to be even more. But I think even if you account for that, 
I, I, we're going to see that number probably move back closer to 20. I've got 17, what I call blue rated running backs, which are elite caliber running backs. I've got that many in the draft guide. And I think there could be as many as 20 backs. So you get 250 more in PPR leagues. Once you get to that level, you can't go zero running back anymore because now you're going to get destroyed too much in that. And if those running backs stay healthy, you're just going to lose too many games before the injuries start to catch up to the RBT. And then you can start getting your backups in the lineup more. Zero IQ strategy is what you're saying. <laughs> it was good at the time. It was a very good uh, adaption to what the, how things had changed back about you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. A good strategy for that moment. But now that the league trends have changed, it's just you can't go that route anymore. So let's get off the fantasy train here for a minute. and Get out of the fantasy tomb. And let's, <laughs> yeah. and let, let's talk reality. Get onto the floor. Get off the floor. Because I'm excited for my fantasy drafts. I'm really excited for some some real competitive football because right now the Giants haven't lost a game and I can feel a little optimism. Sleeper teams. We're going to dive into this a little more uh, in the coming weeks as well on our end, but I'm curious what teams that, that struggled last year and that maybe aren't super hyped this year that you see outperforming expectations. Who comes to mind right away? Baltimore, because of their defense, Baltimore, when you look at their injuries last year, Football Outsiders has, I believe it's called adjusted games lost as their metric. And they measure, it measures not just how many players you lost to injury, but how many players, I guess, where you had injured coming into a game, et cetera. They, 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 a lot of things go into it. And last year's Ravens team was the, I think, the, the had the, the highest adjusted games lost in the history of their metric. Wow. And at one point, their secondary had, they were down nine players in their secondary. It's one thing it, 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 I, I harp on it repeatedly to fantasy people is, as the season goes along, secondary start to lose players. And you think about it, okay, if a secondary has, you know, now we're considered basically three cornerbacks as starters. Okay, if three cornerbacks as starters. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Al Davis said you can never have too many cornerbacks because he knew how fast that you can, you, start, you can lose your depth there. If you'd have three cornerbacks and you need three backups to that six, I'm telling you, you start to lose even a cornerback or two, and they get banged up faster in most other positions. You're starting to play seven and eight string quarterbacks. And when that happens, man, those are our targets for the secondary. But Baltimore is the deepest secondary in the league. And I think that uh, if they stay healthy or even just anywhere near as healthy as they were, anywhere just anywhere better than what they were last year health wise, I think they'll, they'll have a dominant defense. So, again, back to double digit wins, they'll be a Super Bowl contender. Casey, just in case Peter wasn't paying attention, how many cornerbacks do most teams start? <laughs> what was right. the number again? We've 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 traced the rise of that number. And Casey, just so you, because you have no reason. And why, to why is why do they start three, Casey? Understand this inside joke that really isn't funny, but Jordan thinks <laughs> Jordan. We, we were talking about slot receivers and slot okay. defenders, and apparently Jordan thinks that because there's more slot routes being run it doesn't require that's not what requires extra defenders <laughs> still being so, so so it's okay it's okay can we get Please. a screenshot of tom right now holding his head <laughs> for socials we're, we're relitigating who were the sleeper teams we liked we we had looked just based on some really i'm seeing ravens nine and a half regular season wins so you're banging the over what about that. my okay. lions I bet the Lions, like in what, what was it? We did a show in like March or April, right? It was after the draft. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the bandwagon's full. We started the bandwagon. <laughs> right, right, right. USA Today did their cover story after our podcast because we all like the Lions based on rebound, you know, a rebound from last year and the, the improved play and their co- their togetherness and how Hard much Knox they- is just like you know cribbing yeah. material off. And us. they had a, and they had a great draft, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, where are you on Detroit, Casey? Well, born and raised in Michigan, so I got a little bit of a soft spot for the Lions, but okay. And my son says he won't wear the Lions shirt because he's still mad at them for trading uh, Stafford to the Rams because uh, he, he was pulling for the Bengals. So this is where the Allen Robinson love comes in. <laughs> yeah, and figuring it out. Yeah. As far as it goes for Lions, I mean, that brand of football, I keep one thing I, I've been touting over the past years. When I first started doing this, it was passing, passing, passing. And I keep coming back to more and more frequently that the run game is so much more valuable. People give it credit for it. The analytics rule keeps saying pass, pass, pass. And I keep saying, no, you keep looking. Running game is is the fastest way to get from 
if you're trying to go from bad to reasonable, bad to um, playoff contention, if you can do power football, it's the fastest way to get there. You need to do more than that to winning championships. That's why the Colts are saying, hey, we need the quarterback upgrade. You've got to have some passing. But if you want to make the quick turnaround, that's the way to do it. I like the fact that uh, they're going to that type of approach, and I, I like where they're at. And I think their offensive line will play better. I am worried about Swift because he loses too many games. And if they get injuries in their backfield, that can be an issue. And so can so can Goff. But I like their schedule well enough, too, to where it won't surprise me if they if they went nine and eight i would not be shocked if they go eight and nine or seven and ten we shocked either but i think it's gonna be one of the best lions teams in a few years we have made room on the bandwagon <laughs> for casey that is outstanding six and a half wins right now wow any other teams that you're looking at who could take a serious jump in win totals and it doesn't have to be to being a 13 win team it could be from two to eight but significantly improved team this year Okay, I got to consider the audience here, guys, and I, 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 you know, I know you guys are Giants fans and things. I think the Jets could be a much improved team oh, this year. That's the yeah. other team I bet on. Yeah, yes. yes. yeah. So close. Yes. I took the over on the uh, oh, five and a half now, wins. Was it? Uh, all we need, all we Joey need, Casey, Flacco. to say is that Elijah Moore is the breakout candidate <laughs> in the pack. Right. We love Elijah Moore. Still worried about their secondary, Casey, outside of Sauce. Yep, I worry about their secondary too. They've got a very creative coach as far as it goes for coverage wise. I think I could do it, but they also, I think they said, hey, we they went last year and they got Carter. And Carter, if you look at his college numbers, he's a platoon back in college. And remember, coaches are always looking at running backs. And, and it's one of the things that, you know, like people talk about, oh, Zeke and, and Pollard's going to take his place and all these, and, oh, and Herbert's going to take Montgomery's place. Coaches will always try to find, they, they're very good at load managers with the running backs. So they're going to go, what's the upper what's the upper tier I can get these running backs to and not lose productivity? That's why I think Herbert's not going to take over uh, and such. But I think the Jets saw Carter, he's a platoon back, and they said, okay, we can't, we're going to give him 180 some odd touches last year. We can't do more than this. We need another back. Now they've got Hall. Power with Hall. Lightning with him. I like the receivers. At least they're talented receivers. I'm not sold on Zach Wilson at all. So I, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a big factor. But if they can even get just reasonable quarterback play, reasonable quarterback play, I think when you add that into what the what is from a skill position perspective, take a quarterback out, a very talented skill position uh, roster and an improved offensive line with Tomlinson, I think there's a lot of potential here for, for getting out of the doldrum, at least getting from horrible to mediocre. Maybe if they added Mac Wilson, they'd be in better shape. <laughs> yes, yes. Br- Brian Wilson, any, anybody. Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, he was from New Jersey. It also has carved out space. If, if the Jets quarterbacking situation is still as bad as it was, it gives them every excuse to go get a new quarterback. So this, you know, talk about Daniel Jones to a blue in the face, but, but the Jets have their own make or break situation. All right, let's do a little rapid fire underdog picks, all right? Underdog Super Bowl contender. Underdog Super Bowl contender. Chargers. Whew, spicy. I'm a little <laughs> floored by how often we're agreeing today, but go on, especially since friend of the program Austin Eckler will once again be joining yes. us on a future uh, podcast. We we love the Chargers, but but tell us why you're high on them. They understand complimentary football, and they understand that we've got. Uh, go back to Tony Dungy when he was building the uh, the the Colts. They said, and it, look, we're building an off. We know we're going to be playing with the lead. We've got Peyton Manning. We need to build the team that's going to be the type of team that that Peyton Manning's going to put us in certain game situations. We need to build our team to reflect that. And I think the Chargers have built an entire roster around what Herbert can do well and what they're what the game situations they're going to be in. And I think they're going to be better at those game situations this year than they were last year because they're figuring out how to best handle that situation. So I, I like when you add their talent to what I think is going to be a different coaching approach, I think they've got a lot of upside. Underdog MVP candidate. Underdog MVP candidate would be, you know, I could go Lamar Jackson on that one. I think the... The Ravens have the best run-blocking offensive line coach in the league that, uh, if I remember correctly, was a 47.8 good blocking rate last year. That's just incredible. Joe Dallas Andrews is just he, – he's it's either him or Stoutland are the best run-blocking coaches in the league. And Lamar Jackson, I think it, when they get back to that – and by the way, they've got the lowest passing matchup points in the league, so they're going to have to funnel this through Jackson. I think if uh, if they do that and he and they have the success that I expect they have defensively and such, I think that uh, he could be somebody who's going to be a lot closer to MVP than people think. Lamar Jackson plus 2,000 on DraftKings right now for MVP, tied with Jalen Hurts. Wow, okay. Underdog playoff team. Someone that most people don't have in the playoffs that you could see sneaking in there. Pittsburgh. 
look what Pickett's doing. And Pickett's playing quite well. I still think Trubisky is better than what he's showing in the preseason and, he, and it, what he's got talent-wise. And people, I, I, from a fantasy football perspective, Pittsburgh's defense is not even in DST1 category in ADP. And I'm like, they've led the league in sacks for five straight years and sacks account usually for 50% or more of fantasy value. This should be a team that you want on your fantasy roster. That defense plays that well. Harris, they're going to finally rotate him back. And they're going to have something of a vertical game. Ben Roethlisberger had no vertical passing. So you, you can't do too much worse. And if Pickett comes in, say, midseason, and maybe he replicates Roethlisberger in 2005, where he comes in after a few games and does quite well, I wouldn't be surprised if they're – I would not be shocked at all if they make the playoffs. And this one's for you, Peter. Overdog that will stumble. <laughs> An overdog that will stumble. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills. Oh, yeah. Overdog that could stumble because Josh Allen is is due for regression. I know that people don't think he will. Loss of Dable is going to hurt. I think they might try and go with more of a running game. And I still think that they're a team, though, that can get into too many shootouts. I think that no matter I think that that that's that that's their problem. And again, think about it. If you get a win because they're it's. Hey, they're the number one. They're plus six hundred. I think in Super Bowls. They're the number one team in Super Bowls. They this is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Okay, if you have a chance to get into a shootout and shoot up to 50-50 propositions, and you get to win a divisional game, a conference championship, and a Super Bowl, even if you're two of those in the shootouts, all right, that's a one. You got down to a one in four chance of winning. So I just I think that they are not as as much of a clinch for the Super Bowl as people think they are. Who's the best more in the NFL? The best more? What we got we got Rondale. We got Elijah. Sky, DJ, <laughs> Herman. Yeah, I, well, if you're talking historical, it, ha- it would have to be Herman Moore. I, I would, I would take him seven days a week right now. I, I, I think you can make a case that he was a better wide receiver than uh, Calvin Johnson. I think people don't think that. Whoa! Wow. I think you can make the case. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk case, but I think you can make the case that he was a better receiver than Calvin Johnson. Calvin had a peak, but I think Herman was a greater receiver for a longer period of All time. Right, well, what about active? Active. This is what we. This is what we want to hear. <laughs> we won't. You know, we we don't have to evaluate. Rob more let's just go <laughs> active mores talent wise man i you know i like rondale but talent wise i'm probably talent wise i'm going to go elijah because i like what the ceiling is there again i don't know he'll do so well this year 25 matchup points uh, i think he's going to be a wide receiver three in fantasy but i i like his talent enough so i put him into a, a situation where he had a top-notch quarterback and i think he'd be talking to a, a breakout player that was great that was a great interview and and especially because you, you didn't decline based on the fact that jordan used to edit you so that's <laughs> great yeah. most people steer clear of re-engaging with me getting tom back on this podcast was was a chore yeah, yeah. <laughs> peter still has a restraining yeah. order that i'm violating <laughs> i learned long ago that if you've got good editors it, it, when i first got started i can remember i'll throw a name out there an espn name chad millman yeah yeah chad millman was one of my very first editors at magazine so i sent in this article and i've never written anything professionally for a, 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 an outlet before and in in magazine you have these small word counts so he'd go like 400 words on it and i wrote something he went in and changed like 200 of the words and i was like what are you doing you can't change my words all that and i didn't realize at the time it's like no he, he made your article better and i finally got very quickly after it's like some, some people told me look your editors are trying to help you they're not trying to hurt you so look at the right perspective and i and I got over. Well, I've never been an editor, so I don't have to agree with that at all. But <laughs> but I'm sure it's what Jordan wanted to hear. So that's good. That's Peter's good. words were always very precious. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people get your stuff? Because this is I'm I'm still living in this spreadsheet here, and I'm so so nerding out. You can check my stuff out at the Athletic. You can also check out my material, though my my personal material, my 2022 draft guide, my start sit service uh, at through my Patreon subscriptions. Uh, there's three different tiers for the Patreon subscriptions: bronze, silver, and gold. You can get my draft guide, my start sit service. The charts that you're looking at there, you're talking about there. That's one of the most popular elements of both uh, the Patreon service in season or preseason for the draft guide, and then in season because those charts there, matchup charts that show you every team and every player and who they're likely to match up with and uh, a number of different factors. So if you're in fantasy football and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I make this trade or what's, what's the upcoming schedule look like? As I update these throughout the season, you can get an idea of, okay, I want to see if somebody's going to be a good playoff pick. You can go in there and actually look at their schedules and see, okay, do they have a strong schedule? Do they have a weak schedule? And the kind of system that one, I have a couple of subscribers, uh, Phil and Jerry Hooten, they used it to, they wrote me uh, a couple of years ago, or actually a year and a half ago and said, hey, we use your stuff to win $500,000 in the FFPC main event in 2020. So Royalties. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You told us you're working an overnight schedule. First of all, 
What does that mean? <laughs> and second of all, why the hell? I mean, you're you're doing a start a start the start sit service throughout the whole season. If you took a day off right now at the height of the drafts, you could always make it up in October or something. I mean, <laughs> what are your hours like and why? He could be like, uh, you know, moonlighting as a city cop. You don't know. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. But I was just wondering if you, if, are you publishing every morning? I mean, overnight is true dedication. What's happening there? Overnight is my, it's my sleep schedule. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years. I mean, it's, it's dozens of people I've met over the years. When I tell them I'm on an overnight schedule, like, oh my gosh, I would love to be able to do that. I think society has is built for morning people, despite the fact that our body clocks, half of our body clocks are probably built for night schedules, or at least different kinds of schedules than getting up at seven o'clock in the morning. I work till usually about six o'clock in the morning during the season. I'll scale that back to about five because I got to get up in time to watch the games on Sundays. But outside the season, I'll be up. I'll work till six, six thirty in the morning, get up at one thirty in the afternoon. And it fits my body clock. I started doing it when I had when, when I first started. I had young kids you know, uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old when I first started and it, they were sleeping. That was the best time to get writing done because you can't write when kids are screaming, but it just fits my body schedule. It just fits my body clock and, and, and I never feel tired at all because it's a perfect fit for my body clock. I think society would do well to try to, uh, to adapt to things because we get a lot of uh, people who are night owls trying to fit in the morning schedules that don't do so well. Underdog theory right now is sleeping <laughs> during the day. Bobby Bowden said that, that naps were the key to his being productive productivity too. In fact, he used to schedule, I think it was a half hour every day. And it was, when people called in, his secretary was told, nope, don't let the calls go through. Bobby's taking his nap. And he did that not when he was in his 70s. He was doing it like in his 50s and things. He was, when he was younger, he just, he knew the power of it. Tony LaRusse is napping through games. <laughs> <laughs> Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.